here I am, uh, and uh, I'm glad to be here. I, as as many of you know, um, what I what what we're involved in now is helping to plant churches. But the truth is, uh, and when I say plant churches, that is helping organizations, churches, individuals start new churches, and we do that on the West Coast. The truth truth is, we don't really. Our goal is really not to plant churches. Uh, Our goal really is to plant the gospel. So um, that's what you see on my shirt here today, plant the gospel, okay? And that's what you're going to hear about a little bit today. You're not going to hear about church planting, but we're going to talk about the truth that I believe that every believer, every follower of Christ is a planter, That, that it's all of our opportunity to plant the seeds of the good news in whatever situation we're in. And, and, and I just, I, I, I want to say this, and this might sound like an over-exaggeration, but it isn't. I don't believe that there's ever been a time in the history of this country where it's been more important that a church like this one exists. I, I believe that with all my heart. And when I say a church like this one, a church that uh, is full of grace and truth. You know, the scripture says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, he wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He didn't decide on this day he was going to exert his truth, and on this day he's going to exert his grace, because the truth is, grace isn't grace without truth. And truth isn't truth without grace. And, and what hap- what's happening in our, in our society is you know, we want, there's people who want grace, but they don't want truth attached to it. They just want the grace. But then there's also people who are wanting to exert the truth, but it's not embedded or covered with grace. And so then people don't receive it. And, and what, what God's intent is that, that we're always functioning in full of grace and full of truth. And I believe that that's the heart of this church. And I don't think it's ever been more important that a church like this exists because we are living in a time and in a culture that's rapidly changing. Now, for people who are 20 years old or so or younger, uh, what, you're ex- what you're experiencing in your life and in this culture is not new. It's relatively normal. This is kind of your norm. But for those, particularly those who are about 35 years of age or perhaps a little older than that, you have seen, we have witnessed a subtle uh, but fairly rapid shift in our culture. We've seen, we've seen some dramatic changes. Now, some of those changes have been really good changes. And some of those changes we're not as excited about. Uh, but we've seen a rapid, a rapid shift. And um, I was in Massachusetts last fall to visit my oldest son, Bobby, over there. who lives over there. And as we drove through the hills of western Massachusetts, one of the things that I noticed is that in these little towns in, in Massachusetts, you drive into these towns and you'd notice what was at the center of all of these little towns. It's like a like an old white church. Sometimes it was a stone church. In fact, the first church my son worked at over there was this was this church, a little white church in in um, I forget the name of the town. Hey, anyway, I can't remember. But anyway, this this old white it was built in the 1600s. This church that he worked in, and now he's working in a new, relatively new church. It was built in the 1800s. Uh, but as you drove through, <laughs> imagine the deferred maintenance on that building. Um, you, as you drove through these towns, you'd see these buildings, and they were right in the center. And the reason they were in the center is because when people would go in and settle in these little areas, 
they would want to put a church in the center of those towns because they believed that that church brought value, was going to bring value to that community. It was a place of education. It was a place of spiritual training. It was a place where kind of the center of, of the values of that community. So they believed that the center was a good spot for the church. Well, as you know now, the church is not quite as well received anymore. It, it, you know, the first thing a community does, thinks is not, hey, where should we put the church in the center? And in fact, the church has, has been subtly uh, being pushed a little bit out to the margins. And, and, um, and for some of us, the, the, the changes in the culture, for some of us, uh, perhaps it makes you sad to see some of the changes. Or, it, or maybe it's making you angry. Or maybe it's making you discouraged. But listen, here's, here's the amazing reality. God has us right here in this place at this time on purpose. And every single believer can be a planter of the good news. And I believe is God's intent in this time and in this place for us to be planters of the good news. Have you ever been in a place, how many have ever been in a place where you didn't feel like you really wanted to be or you didn't feel like it was very God-ordained? Anybody been in one of those circumstances? Some of you, some of you are in one of those maybe right now. I remember uh, when we first started the church, you mentioned that I maybe did some other things as we started, and it's true. When I first started the church, some of you know this story, that I I worked um, as we were getting the church going in the early 90s. I worked for a a building maintenance company, and my job was to sweep parking lots. And so we we would drive around. It wasn't an enclosed, nice enclosed parking lot sweeper. It It was a lawn tractor. And behind it were these attachments that were sweepers. They would go and they would pick up uh, the, uh, you remember, <laughs> they would pick up the stuff in the, uh, in the parking lot. And, and understand that in, in like late fall, early winter in Washington, when you're sweeping these parking lots, it always wasn't the most beautiful of conditions because we would had to do it from like 3 in the morning till 9 in the morning because we did it when there were no cars there because you had to sweep the parking lot when there were no cars there. So... So we'd go into these parking lots, I'd sweep the parking lot, and, and there were days when it would just be raining and windy, and there's, you know, the, the leaves are falling off the trees. I remember this one bank building I used to do, and the leaves, you know, it was a windy day, it was a cold day, and I'm sweeping this, and I'm all bundled up, and I'm, I go round and round this parking lot, I get to the end, I look back at the parking lot behind me, and it looks as though I did nothing. All the leaves have refilled it, and I've always thought that's what hell's going to be like. You're constantly... <laughs> Constantly working, nothing ever accomplished. And I was, I, was, I was really cranky on one particular morning. I remember I was sweeping the Safeway parking lot on 72nd and Portland Avenue. And I'm sweeping that parking lot, and I'm driving around and around picking stuff up. And all of a sudden, I see this empty oil, uh, you know, motor oil container. It comes just flying at me. And I'm just driving and doing, you know, minding my business, sweeping the parking lot. Here comes this thing. I'm like, where did that come from? So I keep going, and here comes another one. And another one, and then, and then a, an, an empty uh, antifreeze container comes, comes close to me, and I finally turn my tractor off, and I'm looking around, and I hear this guy just screaming at me. And, and next, to the, next to the parking lot, there's a, there's a fence, and on the other side of the fence is a housing development. And it was probably 6.30, 7 in the morning, and this guy is just screaming at me. He's just cussing me out because he was mad because I woke him up, he was sleeping, and I woke him up with my, with my sweeper. And I remember, you know, if I didn't wake him up, he'd just woken all the other neighbors up with his yelling and cussing. But I remember thinking in that moment, I remember thinking, God, 
Really? I came up here to try to start a church. I'm trying to be just obedient to your calling. I'm trying to do what you asked me to do. God, I'm really doing you a favor. Now, I didn't say that to him, but really, I might as well have just said that to him, you know, because my heart wasn't in exactly the best place in that moment. And so I said, God, I'm just trying to do, and I got Mr. Jiffy Lube over here throwing stuff at me and cussing me out. God, is this, is this what I came here to do? And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment. And he said this. He said, listen, if you, can't, if you can't learn to do the things that nobody notices or appreciates with a right heart, you'll never know what it means to be a minister for me. I remember in that, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was preparing me for something that he had called me to do. And, I, and it just felt like a lousy situation to me. It just felt like a bad circumstance to me. But I remember he spoke, God, God had me right there to prepare to reflect him better. Sometimes we question the purpose of our current experience. We wonder, God, why do you have me here? God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening around us? And there's a beautiful verse in Jeremiah 29, and some of you probably know this verse, and if you don't know it, this is a great one to lodge in your heart and mind, memorize it. It's a beautiful promise that says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? Beautiful promise, one you should learn. But here's the thing, do you know the context for that, for that promise in Jeremiah 29? But because the context makes this verse that much deeper for us. Babylon had become the reigning world power. And Nebuchadnezzar's rule, the king, Nebuchadnezzar's rule, had, had grown and extended far and wide in that time. And, and if you didn't submit to Babylon, you were just assimilated. You were, you were taken over and you were taken in uh, by that empire. Judah, God's people, had turned an a deaf ear to the unusual command that God had given them to submit to Babylon. It was a really unusual command, but what happened is they were listening to these false prophets who were giving them uh, prophecies of, of a false security. And, and, and so they, were, they turned a deaf ear to what God was telling them. They were listening to these false prophets, and so what happened is they were exiled to Babylon. Now, Babylon was not a particular friend to God's people. In fact, they were known as enemies. In fact, um, uh, God's people often saw the Babylonians as unclean. They had desecrated the temple, their most sacred place of worship. And, uh, and, and now they found themselves exiled here in this spot. Now, yes, it was because of their disobedience. And sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances because of our disobedience. Sometimes there are just things happening around us. And sometimes it's because of what other people's decisions have put on us. But... They found themselves in this circumstance, and so they were waiting on God. God, when will you come through? God, what is it that you will say? God, what is it you will do to free us from this place? They were exiled in this place, a place they didn't want to be. And what God says to them is this, this interesting passage in Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7, that I want you to hear. I want you to listen to what God says when they find themselves in this place, and they're hoping God's going to come and rescue them out of this place for these people. They don't share their values. They don't like these, you know, the the, the conditions. So here's what God says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile, all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry 
and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Let's go one more. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So they're, they're exiled to Babylon and what God says to them is this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to engage with these folks. I want you to settle in. I want you to find wives for your sons. I want you to give your daughters in marriage. I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. And he says, to which I have carried you. I've placed you in the city. Yes, because you're disobedience, but I've put you in this place. And I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of this city. And that word peace or prosperity of the city is the word shalom. Shalom was a really important word in Hebrew, in that culture. And that when we hear the word shalom, what word comes to mind? Shalom means peace, right? We, we have that sense of peace. But the full sense of that word is not just calmness, uh, it, but it's this sense of flourishing. It's this sense of wellness. That's why shalom was such a powerful word. Uh, a flourishing, prosperity, wellness, wholeness. So God is saying, here's what I want you to do, my people, in that place where you don't like to be. I want you to seek the flourishing and the prosperity and the wellness and the wholeness of that city. I want you to, because in their flourishing and in their wellness, you're going to find your flourish. In their shalom, you'll find your shalom. Consider how God's people in exile might have felt. The emotions they may have been going through. They, they, they weren't liked by the Babylonians. They were just taken over. They were in exile there. They may have thought, God, these people, these people, God, these, these are our enemies. God, these people hold different values than we hold. God, this culture is against you. They serve all these other gods. There's all this idolatry. God, these people, they're so liberal. <laughs> Didn't say that. Uh, can't we just stay to ourselves, God? Can't we just mind our own business? Can't we just huddle and just wait for you to come and take us out of here? And God says, no, that's not what you get to do. I want you to stay. I want you to engage. I want you, I want you to be good news to that city. I want you to seek the shalom. I want you to seek the peace. I want you to seek the prosperity. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to be good news in that city. I want you to plant good news in that city. I want you to represent me in the places where you may feel like the outcasts. That's what God is saying. I want you to represent me in the places where you may feel like the outcasts. Listen, they were feeling like they were um, helpless captives in this town. And God is, 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 is readjusting their mentality, readjusting their identity and saying, listen, you are not helpless captives. You are powerful missionaries. Don't believe you are helpless captives in the culture. Start to view yourselves as powerful missionaries in this culture because that is what you are. We have to change our thinking about our, identity, about our identity in our circumstances and we have to change our thinking about our identity in this culture. I get grieved. My heart breaks sometimes when I see some of the things that are happening in our culture, some of the changes in morality, some of the things that are happening that I don't agree with or don't line up with my values. Those things break my heart. 
And I cry to the Lord about those things. But you know one of the other things that really breaks my heart is when I see followers of Jesus and leaders of the church in fear. When I see followers of Christ just espousing such anger and such doomsday and this idea that, oh no, we have, we have taken God uh, out of our country. God, we have taken God out of our schools. We have taken God out of this. And we've, listen, I've said it here before. As long as the Spirit of God resides in you as a follower of Christ, God will not be taken out of this culture. And God will not be taken out of your workplace. And God will not be taken out of the schools. Please don't communicate to your children that God has been taken out of their school. Here's what we communicate to our children. God is in you. And whether you can pray in that school, you know, as a group or not, the Spirit of God rests in you. And you have the ability to represent God's good news in that school. Don't instill fear in them. Instill the good news in them. Instill courage in them. Do you ever feel like an outcast? Because you believe in Jesus and his word? You ever feel that way? Maybe in your workplace or maybe in the school or, or in, in your neighborhood or in our country? Maybe in our own home? Or you might think, well, Chris, I'm longing for this different time in my life. And we do live in an interesting time. You know, we, we, we're seeing, a, you know, we've seen a, the definition of family and marriage being changed and trying to figure that out. And we've watched Olympic hero Bruce Jenner, as now Caitlyn Jenner. And and we're, you know, trying to navigate how do we deal with that and the transgender issue. Let me just just take an aside here for a second on that. I'm not going to get into that. Mike would not appreciate that. Um, (laughs) I will will just say this. In all of us, in every one of us, I, I'll say it this way. There's got to be room for compassion in us in this issue. Because in every single one of us, there is a dissonance between uh, what we objectively are and what we feel we are. That's true in all of us. In every one of us, there's, there's some level, some degree of dissonance between objectively what we are and what we feel we are. And, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God's word and the work of Christ is the one who defines who we are. And we, and, and we, we need to continue to let God and his spirit say, this is who you are. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I'll say about um, we're, 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 in, we're in this exhausting and bizarre election season. We have, we have all kind of hurt for and, and, and prayed for the devastating tragedy in Orlando, which by its confluence of so many cultural issues of our day, it's demonstrated the pain and confusion that we find ourselves in. And in the midst of all of this, uh, we, we, we sense the church, the evangelical church, being pushed out of a place of the center of culture back out into these margins. And, and I will just say this, that historically, when you look at history, when a church has been in a place of privilege and in the center uh, of a culture, 
she has not been particularly effective in her mission. You think about, you think about places where, where Christians are being persecuted, and it's in those places where you hear about these great revivals rising up. Why is that? It's because that's when the church remembers what her mission is about, that, that we're not going to change hearts through legislation, that, that we're not work spending our energy uh, just trying to uh, grasp for this privilege that we've had, but we're back to the place of, of planting the gospel that is the thing that transforms hearts. That's the thing that changes the culture. And in these times, it's easy for us to just resign and say, oh, well, this is just how it is. Nothing I can do. It's easy to get angry. Uh, <laughs> you just take a glance at any social media. You know, the last thing we need is more angry Christians. We have enough. Those, those applications have all been filled. It, these are good times for James's words. Be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and be quick to listen. We need people who are willing to listen. It, it's easy in this time to just assimilate. And that's what Babylon, that was one of their strategies. They would take some of the leading, they would try to take some of the leading people out of God's people, and they would just try to assimilate them into their culture so they would they would lose their effectiveness. That was kind of their goal. They assimilate all these countries, make them just like Babylon, then they have you know, no distinctiveness anymore. What we can't do in this time, it, you know, while he says engage, what he's not saying is just become like the world. In fact, Scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What we need is to continue to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, continue to live lives that reflect Him and honor Him in all that we do. So we don't just assimilate in this time either. That, you know, the, the way to, to influence dark is not just by becoming dark. It's be light in that dark. And it's easy in these times to be apocalyptic. Well, I just can't wait till Jesus just comes and takes us out of here and cleans it all up and wipes everybody out and then everything will be great. You know why he doesn't do that? Yeah, because he's good. And because the scripture says he's not slow about his promises, but he's patient not wanting anyone to perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. We shouldn't want that either, right? And it can make us, these things that are, we're going, that are happening can make us long for better days gone by. Now, I will say this. We tend to romanticize how much better the better days gone by were, but we can long for those days from the past, simpler times when things like morality maybe seemed clear. And sometimes I think about that. I was in Disneyland yesterday. Be jealous. I was there yesterday, um, and, uh, and, and I was thinking about, I was walking, oh, was it two days ago? It just seemed like yesterday, because it was so awesome. Um, I lied right there. So um, I was there, and I was thinking about, you know, we, we've been there with our kids, and, and sometimes I think, man, I, I wish, I, I love that time when my kids were like five and six and seven, you know, and it's just such a great time, because I could control them. <laughs> I could, I could tell them what to do, and they had to do it, and you know. And of course, of course, when now they're twenty, whatever they are, twenty-seven, twenty-five, and twenty-four. Of course, when they were five and six and seven, I'd be like, "Oh man, I can't wait till my kids are older because this is exhausting." But, but we long for those days. But listen, for God's purposes and in God's perfect knowledge, He's put us right here, in this time and in this place, because there are opportunities all around us to make a difference. Listen, we're the bearers of the greatest news in the world. 
We are the sent ones. Plant the gospel. That's what he's saying, plant the gospel. Sometimes in our longing for a different time, we miss the opportunities of the days that we're in. There's this, there's a, there's this amazing scripture, and I don't have a lot of time to give you all the context, but there's this amazing scripture in Acts 17. And, and just the, the basic context is this. The people that Paul was talking about here, they believed that their lives were subject to an unstoppable fate, or they believed that they were there by chance. Uh, so they were always trying to appease the gods. If they made them happy enough, maybe they had a shot later. <laughs> later. And, and Paul was addressing them, and listen to what he says in Acts 17, 26. He says, listen, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, let that sink in for a second. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Some of your translations say in the boundaries of their habitation. Paul is saying this to them. He's saying, listen, God is personal. God can be known. God, uh, you know, we're not just matter. We're not just subject to an unstoppable fate. We're not just chance. We're not just chemical processes or DNA. Uh, that God is personal. There's a personal, there's a gracious God. He's the creator. He's the Lord. He's the sustainer of our life. We are his offspring. Paul is communicating this to them who thought that their life was just there by chance or subject to some unstoppable fate. And, and Paul is saying, no, no, no. There's a personal God who knows you and he created you. That we are not just subject to fate or chance or coincidence. We're certainly not a mistake but there is purpose God has purpose for our life and that we are here in this place right here right now and God has a reason for this and I want you to listen again to the power of this verse let's put that verse up there one more time go back one one slide sorry from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live it's it's no surprise to God what's happening in our country right now it's no surprise to God what's happening in our community right now and it's no surprise to God what's happening in your life right now that, that God knew this from the, very, from the very beginning. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God has us right here, right now. Now listen, you could have been born, Stan could have been born at the time of Moses and God could have put him in Egypt. God could have decided Stan's best time was, was the time of Moses and his best place was Egypt. But he didn't. He, you know, he could have decided that Tanya uh, could have been born at the, in the first century in Jerusalem when the church was just, you know, erupting and coming. He could, he could have put you right there at that time, right? Uh, he could have decided that, that Judy, uh, her best time was, was you know, in the, in, at the time of the Reformation, could have stuck her right over there in Western Europe. She could have been part of that, you know. Maybe she would have been nailing theses to the door or something. But whatever, he could have put us any time, but, but for whatever reason, this personal God who knows you and I, who knows Lorenzo and Kathy and Jen, who knows us, he decided that he would put us right here in the 21st century. And he decided that he would put us right here in this part of the world. Why? Why did he decide? Well, the next verse says that. It says God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God told his people when they were exiled to Babylon, I have, I have exiled you to this place, and I want you to engage. And, he, he, and, and Paul says this to them. He says, listen, God put you, God put people in their times and in their places so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not. He believes this is your best time to find him. He believes this is your best place. And if, if God put us here, 
so that we would seek him and reach out for him and find him? Why did God put others here? Why did God put your neighbors in this time and place? Why did God put those in the marketplace that you intersect with every day in this time and this place? Why did God put your coworkers? Why did God decide this was their best time and this was their place so they could find him? That's why. That God wanted us to bring shalom to our places of influence. He wanted us to bring wellness and wholeness and prosperity and flourishing to plant the good news. Sometimes it's really hard for us to understand, God, why do you have us where you have us? But here's the truth. God can be trusted. God has you right here in this time and in this place. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what's happening in this world around us. He knows exactly what's happening in our culture. And he has us here. And we are the bearers of the greatest news in the world. And he wants us to plan it. So I want to challenge you to rethink the purpose of your daily experiences. That we should engage. Just like God told his people when they were in exile in Babylon... And I, you know, whether you think America is Babylon or not, that's, that's up to you. Whatever it is, God wants us to engage with these people. I, I want to I illustrate this. I'm going to try to do this really quickly. Um, there was a, and some of you may not be able to see this. I hope, I, I hope at least my explanation will help you understand what I'm trying to do here. When I was a kid, uh, growing up in the, in the great Baptist church that I was raised in, um, I, I heard this illustration about a chasm and um, uh, that, that there, was this, there was this great chasm and on one side of this chasm was us, right? That's me on this side of the chasm. And in the illustration, on the other side of this chasm was this ethereal blob known as God. He is spirit, you know, so, so there was God. And what they would tell me is that there is this great chasm between you and God. What creates that chasm? Right? Sin. Some of you have seen this illustration before. Sin creates this chasm. And they said, no matter what you do, you can't bridge the chasm between you and God because of your sin. And I would always think, oh yeah, what if, what if I built a bridge? You know? And they said, well, it would, never, it would never work. You can never, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're... You know, and, and, and then they would say things like, well, and, and we, don't know, we don't know whether we have tomorrow, you know. We don't know if today could be our last day, and, and, and so we need something that will bridge this between us and God. How many of you have seen this chasm illustration before? It's a beautiful illustration, right? Okay, what's the thing that bridges the chasm? The cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful picture of how Jesus, through his death and resurrection, bridges this chasm so we can make this trek across the chasm, and we can be in relationship with God. Now, I believe all of this to be true. Oh, one thing I didn't put on there is, at the bottom of this chasm, there was this. Fire. So as, a, as like a fourth grader, I was like, I could die tomorrow, and I'm just going to die, and I'm going to go in the fire. Do you want to accept Jesus? Yes, I want to accept Jesus. <laughs> so... I, I believe this is true. I believe this is true, but I would, I would shift it just a little bit. 
and, and this relates to what we're talking about here. I would shift this just barely, and I would put God as a person too. Yes, He is spirit, but the Word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. I would actually put our life kind of over here because I don't know that we're all on the precipice of death at any moment. We could be, but most of us are traveling. And here's what I think God did through Jesus. I think the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, through Jesus, made His trek across the chasm and He stands with us and He walks with us and the kingdom of God starts right there and walks into eternity. Now, He walks with us. Now, this doesn't look like a straight line. It's ups and downs and difficulties, but God is with us and we start an eternal life right wherever you are today. Now, that's the beauty of what God asks us to do when He says, listen, I want you you to embed in your community. I want you to engage with people. I want you to be in their lives. I want you to get with them. I want you to know them. I want you to listen to them and then I want you to walk with them and represent the good news and walk with them until they come to know that God is a good God and the kingdom can start for them today too. Engage. Be a blesser, not just a consumer. I gotta hurry up. Be a blesser, not just a consumer. What if our purpose for going to a business or our purpose for going to a restaurant was not just to get what we need or not just to eat a meal, but what if we intentionally made a part of the purpose of going to that place to bless the people who work there? How would it change you know, there, I, as bad as it sounds, there have been times I've walked into a convenience store, I've picked up my Snickers or whatever it is I'm going to get, I take it to the counter, I'm fumbling with my cash, I hand them the cash, I pick up my Snickers and I walk out, I never even see the person working, working there. And I felt so convicted about that because that's a soul, that's a life, that's a person who has a story. So what if instead of just being a consumer that goes to a restaurant to eat our food, or just go into a marketplace to get our groceries. What if we had the purposeful intention that we're going to go there to hear their story, to know their name, and to bless those people? It will change your life, and it will change their life. Also, consider this question, what is good news to this person? Now, the only way we can know what... Now, we know the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, but what is good news in that moment for that person? Now, the only way we're going to know that is to, is to be there and engage with them and maybe go to the same places enough to start listening and know their story. What's the story? Now, knowing their story, what's good news to that person? How can you express kindness? How can you express that good news to them? Here's the, here's the fourth one. Listen to the promptings. I'm sorry. Show, uh, show grace-filled generosity. Show grace-filled generosity. I think Christians should be the most generous people in all the world. And I think we should show grace-filled generosity. That means I think we, when we go to restaurants, we should tip really well. Yeah. Now, you might think, well, what if they were lousy service? Well, that's the whole side of the grace side of things. And here's one thing my daughter challenged us to do uh, uh, two, three, or four years ago. I don't remember how long ago. But she challenged us. She said, Dad, what if, what if every time you finish, closed out your bill at a restaurant, write a note of encouragement at the top of that bill. So from that point, we, every time we're at a restaurant, that's what we do. Every time. We'll write some note, and it's not, you know, it's not, you know, for God's love the world that he gave his only begotten son. It, it is, it is, hey, you know, it was busy today, and you were, you were really on it. Thanks for your service. We appreciate it. We had a great time. Something like that. Just write some note. You know how meaningful that is to a server that you, that you noticed, that you cared, 
Also, call them by name. It's just the simplest thing. Just know somebody's name and start calling the, your, the, the person who's working and, and serving you. Start calling them by name. And start hearing their stories. Start listening. Now, these, these things that I'm sharing you are so simple, they may insult your intelligence. But I'm telling you, if we, if we start doing these kind things, we start changing the perception of, what, of, of, of Christians in our community because the, the perception of Christians in our culture is not good right now. We need to change the perception. That's up to us. There's a, we started doing this. There's, a, there's a, a young lady that worked at a restaurant that we frequented often, and, and uh, she left that restaurant. We didn't know where she went, and we happened to go out to another restaurant out on the waterfront, and we walked in that restaurant, and there she was. There's Ashley. I was surprised to see her there, and I said, hey, Ashley, and she said, oh, come sit at my table. And we, so we sat at her table, and she became our server, and she, she came over to us, and she just leaned down like this, and she said, I just got to tell you. I got to tell you something. She said, I don't say this to very many I don't say this to very many people, but I just want to tell you. You guys have impacted my life unlike most people I've ever served. Now, that was really powerful to us. We never gave her scriptures. You know, we never stopped in the middle of our meal and prayed with her. We just were kind, just simply kind. We just left notes of kindness and encouragement to her. And it was meaningful to her. Um, and, and, and because we simply just listen to her story. Now, that, that, let me take you to the last one. Number five, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's probably the, the key one. As you're in your daily experience, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to say things and will prompt you to do things because He knows that this is an opportunity for that person that you're going to encounter to experience something of the good news. And we have to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole other message on how do we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But just listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit beginning to, to show you, hey, be kind to this person. Say this to this person. You know, pray quietly for this. Whatever it is, but listen to the prompting of the Holy, Holy Spirit. There was a, there was a, a, a young lady who um, was one of our servers in one of these places that we would go. And we heard that and we found out that she was, um, she was going to be moving over to North Carolina. She was going to, you know, she was pregnant and then she got married and she was moving with her husband who was military over to North Carolina. And so when we heard this, we decided, you know what, um, th th it sounded like a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety in her voice uh, when she told us the story. So we went home and we bought her a, a gift for her baby, that her soon-to-be baby that was coming here at some point. And 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 so we wrapped that gift, and then on, on just a little card, we just we just said, "Listen, you know, we wrote, I wrote the scripture Jeremiah twenty-nine because I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting that. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you future and a hope." And I just wrote that verse on that card, and I said, um, "Alyssa." You know, we believe God has a best for you and we believe this new season of your life could be one of the best of your life. God has purpose and God has plan. We just left her that note and we, next time we went to that restaurant, we brought it, we handed it to her because the Holy Spirit prompted. Now, I don't know if she ever gave her life to Jesus. She's now moved. But God simply wants us to express his good news in kind, thoughtful, meaningful ways. Begin to open the door and listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if the kindness of God leads us to repentance... That's what the scripture says. If the kindness of God leads us to repentance, is it possible that God could use our kindness and grace to soften hearts toward him? I believe absolutely it is. 
We get angry sometimes because we feel like we're getting marginalized as the church. Whose, cho- whose job is it to change the perception? It's ours. We do that by planting the gospel. Plant the gospel. When God's people were exiled to Babylon, this enemy nation, God told his people, engage, seek the flourishing of the city. In an environment in, in Jerusalem and around that area that was hostile to Jesus and biblical morality, still people loved Jesus. In an environment of persecution, the disciples changed the world. This is not a time for us to be angry. This is not a time for us to be discouraged. It is not a time to give up and simply assimilate. It's an opportunity that we have. The good news triumphs over bad news every time, and we get to choose which news we promote. Let's promote the good news of Jesus. It's good news. Promote the good news. So we're going to sing this song one more time. God of miracles. Where do you need courage over fear? Where do you need grace over anger? Where in your life, in your circumstance, in your situation, maybe your workplace, your neighborhood, maybe the marketplace, maybe just as you go, where is it that you need to plant good news? Maybe it's online. Maybe your online presence needs to shift. And instead of being a purveyor of doomsday (laughs) or anger or bad news, maybe it's time to start being one who promotes the good news of Jesus. Ask the Lord. Listen to these words as you think about our culture and as you think about your situation and make them your prayer.